Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 507. The last day of the cruise, it doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to be great, but there are some ways to make it a little bit easier to deal with, and today, I wanted to talk about those. Here we go. So I was running across some old articles and forum posts, and I saw a post actually from one of our message board writers, Traveler, who's a great resource of information. And Traveler wrote this post actually in 2019, but I thought it was kind of interesting and I wanted to talk about it this week because he has some tips how to make disembarkation day easier to deal with. And I thought that I would go tip by tip here to share my thoughts on how valid or unvalid it is. And, and keeping in mind, by the way, that I think having met Traveler and knowing Traveler fairly well, I feel like a lot of his tips are very, very good. Just more of you know my experience versus his than anything else. So um, I wanted to share with you how to make disembarkation day just a little bit easier uh, to deal with because after the end of the day, I have yet to find a disembarkation day in which it's like, you know, sunshines and rainbows and excitement. It's not. It's the last day of the cruise, last morning of the cruise. Uh, they're just, no matter how leisurely you approach it, it just always seems to be just a not so great experience. Anyway, we're going to go bullet by bullet uh, in his post here uh, on the message boards, which by the way, if you are not part of the Welcome Blog message boards, I really do recommend checking them out. I mean, I know this is a self-serving shameless plug for the message boards, but not only do I read and post in there, I think it's a really good resource. I learn things in the message boards just as much as anybody else. So I think you could really benefit from being a part of the community. Just go to realcoinblog.com and then click on message boards in our main menu. All right, his first tip. And by the way, he said, uh, post our last cruise, I thought of several ideas to make this, the disembarkation day more bearable. Please feel free to add more of your ideas. Number one, do not try to even get, do not try to get even with the unlimited drink package Try to drink too much alcohol the last evening, night. It will make your morning easier. So, <laughs> yes, there's truth there. I mean, I laugh because I have definitely not followed this rule a lot of times. It's like, there's two ways of thinking about it. Do you want to have, yeah, if you don't drink at all the last day of the cruise or at least the last evening of the cruise, you're probably not going to wake up hungover. I think this is what he's trying to get at. That if you're trying to make the last day of the cruise go out, go out strong, as they say, and and really indulge there's a higher chance you're going to wake up hungover and waking up hungover no matter what's happening is not a great experience waking up hungover and having to get off the cruise ship because you're not going to be able to sleep it off makes it way worse it does definitely compound it and this is something that i think a lot of people deal with because it's, you know the, the the last full day of the cruise they want to enjoy it i mean listen it's depressing because the cruise is over basically but that doesn't mean you can't have a good time um yeah and i think when he says try not to drink too much will definitely make the morning easier, certainly. It's just a matter of, do you want do you want to take care of it now or is that, you know, tomorrow's, tomorrow Matt's problem, right? Kind of thing. Anyway, number two, try to go to sleep early so you'll get several hours sleep before leaving the ship. So this feeds into something that I think I struggle with the most with disembarkation day is that it's just hard to sleep enough because you have to get up early. In most cases, you need to be out of your stateroom no later than 8 a.m. At least that's what's posted there. Your stateroom attendant may give you a little bit of flexibility, but you can't sleep in on the on the last morning. And because you're going to get out by 8, and because there's so much noise from disembarkation, like, first of all, when the ship is pulling into port, it seems like there's always a lot of vibrations and noise, and then you've got people walking down the hallways and doors slamming, and, and it's just hard to sleep in. And certainly, by sleeping in, I'm saying, like, past, like, 7 o'clock in the morning. So to that point, what he's trying to say is try to go sleep early. And this kind of feeds into the first tip, right? If you don't drink a ton at night, the night before, and you can go to bed fairly early, you'll get a good amount of sleep. And 
I think this is true of most things in life. If you get enough sleep, you can deal with a lot of problems, including the last morning of your cruise. So certainly there's truth to it. I think the problem, not problem, my, <laughs> the issue I think some people might take with the first two tips here is you're, I don't want to say you can't have a fun time or a good time, um, you know, with, without these, like, you know, something my mom always told me, you don't have to, you don't have to drink to have a good time, right? This is very true. But for a lot of people, you know, it's not so much that they don't want to, they want to still indulge a little bit. It's still their vacation. And, you know, if the if the last morning is going to be just this, like, ugh feeling, well, then may as well get all your money out of it. There's no difference whether it's an uh or a super uh morning, I guess. I don't know. Number three, the best time to fly back from the port will be 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., depending how far the port is from the airport. So you can leave your room around 8 a.m., go directly to the airport without the need to figure out what to do until your flight. I like this tip a lot, actually, and this is a really good one, especially in the U.S. There are some ports in Europe I'm thinking of that can be a problem like Rome. Um, but if your air, if the airport is within an hour of your embarkation port, then I like this tip a lot. What he's trying to basically say is you want to schedule your flight home no earlier than 11 a.m., but ideally no later than 1. You can certainly do it after 1. You're just What he's trying to do is minimize the amount of time you're wasting in the airport without having to rush off the cruise ship like your hair is on fire and you're trying to make an airplane airplane ride at the same time. There's a lot of good truth. Is it was finding that sweet spot. And some people will book, if you book a flight before 1130 AM, I agree with Traveler, that's a mistake. And if you book a later flight, like two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock, man, you're gonna be wasting a lot of time. Um, you know, there, and people have done it. There's ways around that. You could get a, a hotel room for the day. I've actually started doing this a lot um, in various, for various reasons, but you know, you go to find a hotel near the airport. A lot of them sell day rooms. So instead of doing, you know, renting a room for the night, you get it for the daytime. So as an example, when we had a flight out of LA or a cruise out of LA, excuse me, and we had a fly out of LA, it was, I think our flight was sometime in the afternoon and sitting around the airport, uh, you know, terminal is extremely boring. I mean, maybe you could get a access to a to a airport lounge an airline lounge but you know number you're still sharing the space with other people you're still using common bathrooms it's still not a great thing so getting a hotel room a day room there's a number of websites that'll sell you these um can be a really good workaround for it because at least then you can lie down you can take a nap you can use the bathroom you take a shower uh it, it's a little more relaxing there but in a perfect world you don't want to spend more money on an extra room you don't want to spend more money on an airline lounge you don't you just want to get off your cruise ship leisurely, not without feeling like you're going to screw everything up if you're if you're one minute late. Get to the airport, check in, have enough time to get something to eat, and then be able to get on your airplane. And that 11.30 to 1 p.m. Uh, window is probably good for almost every single place. Again, assuming your airport, uh, you're flying out of is within about an hour or so. Uh, he says, if you have a very late flight, consider to take the day in one of the hotels, something worse than walking around with tired sad people around you trying to pass some time until your flight. As I just talked, I didn't realize that was his next tip, but yes, that is exactly what I was talking about. Um, sitting in the airport is cheaper than getting a day pass, but usually I found day passes to hotels to be somewhere in the ball, less than a hundred dollars uh, for the time. And you can, you know, bring two, four people, doesn't matter. I've usually found it right around 50 to 60 bucks. Again, it can vary, but sometimes you can find it even cheaper. Depends how close to the airport you want to be also. But I think every single one of them offers some sort of an airport shuttle to go there, regardless of that fact. Uh, it is, yeah, I, I agree. If you have a later flight than 1 p.m., I would definitely invest in a day pass to a hotel. Uh, I think dayuse.com is the website. I'm trying to, I was trying to jog my memory during this whole 
discussion here. But that's a good one to go to. Um, I, It's just, I get it. You don't want to spend any more money. But I think that money is actually well worth it to be able to lay down, watch TV, take a nap, take a shower. It's really helpful. This next tip is check your bill during the day before the last day. So if you need to fix something with guest services, you will not need to wait in long lines. I cannot emphasize this tip enough. The biggest mistake, one of the biggest mistakes people make with disembarkation is waiting until the morning of to fix a billing issue. The line uh, to guest services on the last day of the cruise can be long. The line to guest services on the morning of the, of the end of the cruise can be gargantuan. Don't waste your time. Don't do it. It adds stress. It's just look at it. Ideally, you should look at that bill the morning of the last day of the cruise. Heck, even the night before that, you're going to find a lot less people. Once it gets about lunchtime, the line starts developing for guest services for that thing. But again, take care of it on the last day, not on the last morning. That's definitely important. Uh, he also says, if you have enough vacation time, try to take a few more days to continue your vacation after the cruise. For example, you cruise from Orlando with family. Why not add a few days in the different parks? I agree with the idea that you should, you know, if you could say an extra day, disembarkation becomes so much easier. <laughs> if you have an extra day of vacation time to, to burn or whatever, uh, you know, your cruise comes back on a Saturday and you fly home on Sunday instead, like it, it, it radically transforms your experience to a more positive one. You're far less stressed out. You have a lot less pressure on you to get off that cruise ship and go somewhere. You can also take a much better flight in the morning. And in some cases, when you're flying long distances and maybe there's only like a early morning flight, like a 6 a.m. flight, which you could never make, obviously, if the cruise ship was was there. You know, instead of doing the day pass thing like I talked about, maybe taking a night flight, now you spend the whole day, explore that city, do some more fun, and then take the next flight in the morning. That can work out really well. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, he also says, if you can, give yourself one day off at home before going back to work. I love this tip. I don't know how practical it is for a lot of people. Like if your cruise comes back on a Sunday, right? And you got work on Monday. I mean, for most people, it's just, it is what it is. But there is a, we love coming home on a Saturday instead of a Sunday because it does definitely feel like there's just, you have that extra built in time. Number one, that means on that extra day, you can sleep in and recover from the sleep that you missed out on on disembarkation morning. And number two, you still have time to do errands and you're not trying to compete with your work stuff. I really love that tip. Also, if it's possible, try to go, try to do self-disembarkation. Self it will allow you to control what, when to pack, when to go out of your room up to 8.30 a.m. And you will not need to check if your numbers are called or not. I like this tip a lot. So this is, he's talking about uh, the, the self-assist in which you take your own luggage off. Now, this is not always possible. If you're staying on a very high deck or you have a lot of luggage and or one of the two, it, it's almost, I don't want to say impossible, but it's very difficult and I wouldn't recommend it. But if it is possible at all for you to take your own luggage off, while it is cumbersome to have to take your bags off the ship, and, and go through the elevator and navigate all that. I will say he's absolutely right in that it will allow you to get there on your own schedule. You're not waiting for luggage times. You don't have to worry. But if your bag gets lost, which is pretty rare, but I'm just saying, uh, you don't have to deal with any of that. You, when you're ready to walk off the ship, you walk off the ship with your own luggage and you bypass the whole luggage recovery process through customs and on your way. It is... The number one thing that I do when I'm coming back from a cruise and especially if I'm by myself or it's just me and my wife, we don't have the kids and we all, you know, one bag each, this is super easy to do. The times in which it doesn't work, again, if we're on a high deck, because the problem with a high deck, if you're on like deck like, you know, 11 or 12 or something like that, 17 on an Oasis class ship, the elevators get very competitive very quickly on an embarkation day. 
or disembarkation day, excuse me. And it, it makes it more cumbersome. And in that situation, it's actually easier to be have no baggage because you can squeeze in without a bag, right? Uh, but all things being, I'll say most off, more often than not, we will go with our, we'll take our own luggage off the ship, especially for a short cruise, like a weekend cruise, no problem at all. We'll do that. It really does make it a lot easier. Now, again, it's harder to do this with families. It's harder to do this if you're taking a longer cruise and you have just a lot of luggage. Don't feel bad. This isn't a mistake to check your luggage. I do that quite a bit. In fact, when we were on Navigator of the Seas a couple weeks ago, I just, you know, I just gave the luggage to Royal Caribbean. They delivered it. It was no problem. So, you know, don't look at it as a bad thing, but if at all possible, I agree with Traveler to do the self-disembarkation. It really makes a difference right there. And his last tip is use the porters. Sometimes they can save a lot of time by using special queues. The, LA was a great example of this in which there were two lines, people with porters, one without. The porter line was significantly cheap, uh, shorter. I get it, the porters cost money because porters, you're supposed to tip them about a dollar or two uh, for their services. Listen, number one, if you didn't follow a traveler's first two tips, you're tired and hungover, the last thing you want to be doing is lugging luggage around. Let someone else do that for you. To me, it's worth 10 bucks to give to the porter in order to be on your way and just, you know, make your life just a little bit easier. Use the porters. And to Traveler's point here, they may actually be able to save you some time as well. It does make a big difference. In other cases, porters also will take your luggage to your car if you parked yourself. They'll load it in your trunk for you. One time, our car's battery was dead. And this is not what porters are expected to do. But he, he brought his car around and gave me a jump. Like, how awesome is that? Obviously, that guy got more than 10 bucks for his tip. But like, you know, again, that wouldn't have happened at all had we not used a porter. So I think it's really important to use the porters as much as you can. It just makes your life easier. You're on vacation. And yeah, that last morning is still vacation. So definitely take advantage of it where you can. Um, I like his tips a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense when you're talking about making it easier, more bearable to enjoy that last morning of the cruise. Um, somebody posted though immediately after this post, which is, I love it. Be like Super Mario and never worry about disembarkation, which means basically disembarkation day is never a problem if you continue to stay on board the ship. So booking a back-to-back -back definitely uh, can, <laughs> can can work, work quite a bit. I think it's a great idea. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful little tip there. So Big shout out to Traveler for the great article. He posted this in 2019, and I actually posted back in 2019. Great advice. But I thought it came back up here. I was looking for something else, and I found this, and I said, you know what? I think these are really good tips for anybody who wants to do a, a cruise and obviously wants to get off the ship with a more positive experience. Time for Illustrator Emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer your email, starting with an email from Ed Vira. Ed. Uh, I know sometimes you read trip reports during listener questions, and I figured I'd write one about our cruise on Ovation to the Seas to Alaska and how the experience went for an older couple one when one is disabled and the challenges we face. First of all, I'd like to say that the Ovation was about as successful as we ever could have imagined it being. We almost never had any difficulty whatsoever maneuvering around the ship and its many entrances and exits. The only problem we ever faced was attempting to maneuver around the slightly packed in tables at the Windjammer, which wasn't much of a problem since we found the food there surprisingly mediocre most of the time, particularly at breakfast, and we usually avoided it. Staff, with two glaring exceptions, were absolutely top-notch and warm, friendly, and always helpful when we needed it, especially the guest services crew, who went above and beyond to help me find solutions to several problems that emerged from problems my wife had with finding comfortable places to rest in our cabin. They allowed us to move to a very comfortable chair that was normally in high in Boleros to our stateroom to the remainder of the cruise since my wife was able to com comfortably sit and even sleep in it. While the weather was quite cold, even for normal conditions in Alaska in June, 
except for the stop at Skagway in the final day in Victoria, which it was cold and drizzly with highs only in the low 50s the whole week. But the onboard shop sold us these marvelous reversible fleece line waterproof hooded coats that kept us very comfortable for quite a reasonable price, about $46 each. Where my wife's disability was mostly a problem was in disembarking at port stops. At the ports in Juneau and Skagway, there were very steep ramps that I needed to push my wife's chair up, probably the equivalent of a two or three story difference in height. And while I am quite used to this, we have quite a few steep hills here in downtown San Diego, it was challenging and would likely require the aid of some of the security staff or other folks like my wife, like my wife, who are traveling either without a companion that is used to that is used to a tough push up a steep hill or is attempting to power themselves in their wheelchairs. Sitka is even more, but again, has a steep hill at the end of the dock as you make your way to the shuttles or shore excursions to leave from. Only Victoria's Port is mostly flat. Overall, we had a lovely time celebrating our 32nd wedding anniversary and have three more Royal Caribbean cruises booked, October on Oasis, next May on Harmony, and Halloween on Symphony. Thanks for episode 502 and counting fun episodes to brighten a dull commute. Ed, thank you so much for your, for your report. I really appreciate you sharing your experience there. And, you know, obviously accessibility is something that uh, we don't cover nearly as much as we should here on the podcast or on royalcommunblog.com. So thank you for sharing your experience there. It's interesting about the ports because, you know, usually I, my answer would be like, oh, well, you know, Ed, you're in a foreign country and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you're in the U.S., Alaska, ADA compliance and all that. So it's kind of a little bit surprising that some of the ports would be designed in such a way that they have very steep paths there. It didn't sound like it was a problem, just like something that, you know, you would have preferred to have avoided altogether. But uh, thank you for sharing the experience. I hope it helps uh, some of our listeners out as well. Our next email is coming to us from Becky. Hi, Matt. Just booked my first cruise for November of this year on Harmony of the Seas after listening to your podcast for the last year. It'll be myself, my husband, and my just-turned-two-year-old daughter. I have a few dining questions. Early dining was all booked up when they made my reservation, so we have my time. The earliest reservation I get is seven, which is too late for my toddler. We're on the wait list for early seating. If we don't get that, is it possible to show up at the main dining room at early time and hope someone doesn't show up and take their table? Uh, possibly. I mean, the answer to your question is, I mean, there's nothing stopping you from trying that. I don't know how lucky you'll be in that. Um, that's the, one of the issues with, with my time dining. I think number one, I think you'll have a decent chance at getting into early seating. You're on the wait list, number one, so that's already cool. Number two, let's assume for a second that does not come through before the start of your cruise. What you want to do, Becky, is then on embarkation day, go to the main dining room. I would go right around lunchtime, noon, one o'clock or so, ask to speak to the head waiter and see if they can move you at that point. Between those two strategies, wait list and going on day one, I've had pretty good luck getting in. Um, if all else fails, yeah, I mean, you could do, uh, you know, what you're suggesting. The other thing is to do is take your title to the wind jammer. The wind jammer will open, well, now I'm thinking about it. I think it only almost 630. <laughs> I think it's six, maybe? It depends on the ship. But you could go to the wind jammer and get your toddler at least something to eat, something that whether you want to feed them completely and then you guys have dinner later on by yourselves or if you, um, you know, do something else. I'm not sure. There's a lot of options. You know, one thing we used to do when we had kids that were toddlers is we would feed them in the wind jammer earlier, take them there, eat, drop them off at the nursery or Adventure Ocean, whatever the case may be. And then my wife and I would go and eat together without the kids. That's another option they might have not considered. Becky says, we also book Chops Plus One dining package as well as Hibachi lunch. I know that we'll have to make the reservations once we get on board. Is there likely to be a 5.30, 6 o'clock reservation for Chops and Jamie's? Probably. Actually, surprisingly, um, early dinner before 6 is pretty easy to get reservations for. I think the prime times for most restaurants are from 6 to about 8. So if you want to eat at like 5 or 5.30, I've always found pretty 
open time, especially for Jamie's and Chops at those times of day. So I think that'll work out for you. Next, we have an email from Nick. We're sailing on Symphony of the Seas on a seven night cruise around the Med. We're taking Euros with us as much as I'm uncertain how widespread credit cards are accepted, especially with small vendors around the ports. I know if I come in with Euros, the bank will not give us a straight conversion and we'll lose money if we, if we turn them back in. My question is, can I pay down my bill with Euros on the last night of the ship? Will they accept Euros like they would accept US currency? I've been listening for years, love all your content. This has kept us loyal to Royal. Thanks for all you do. Nick, first of all, I'm gonna give you some advice people gave me when I went to Norway. And that is everybody takes credit cards in, in Europe. I mean, everybody, I know what you're thinking. What about the hot dog cart guy? They all take credit cards. I mean, cash is very rare, especially um, in Western Europe, uh, you know, Italy, Spain, France. Um, I think you'll be fine with it. I wouldn't, I mean, if you already got the euros out, you got the euros out, whatever. And can you pay that down? I believe so. I mean, you're gonna be subject to Royal Caribbean's exchange rate, which I don't know what it'll be, but I, I believe they'll still take your euros. It's just gonna be your, it's, they're gonna convert it back to US dollars. And that might go back to your original problem of losing money. So number one, for anybody listening, I would definitely rely on credit cards with no foreign transaction fees is your go-to primary strategy for traveling in Europe on a, on a cruise. It's just the, it works out. The only problem this, the only time this would be a problem maybe is in some of the poorer European countries. If you're going to, I don't know, somewhere in like Eastern Europe, but I don't think that's gonna be a problem in this one. So I would definitely rely more heavily on the credit card. Again, I came into it. I thought the same exact thing. I got to get all these euros and I was, I, there's a podcast episode when I think I wish I talked about all this and then people, I got so many messages from listeners who were like, Matt, you're crazy. Don't bother wasting your time with getting euros. And you know what, Nick? I never got a single euro um, converted. I mean, I got like a you know dollar or two converted cash change or whatever, but I never converted cash, never needed it. Credit cards worked exceptionally well. So um, I would rely on, you know, if you want to pay things off with you, I just US dollars, man, US dollars and credit cards. That's the way to go about it. So thank you for the email there. Our next question is from Chuck. We're cruising on Vision of the Seas for our first cruise with our two boys. We're staying in interior stateroom 2073. My question is how do they accommodate four people with twin with two twin beds or a king bed? If there's no other, well, there must be, um, a room, a, a something else that goes there because to have four people in the like, room with just two beds, uh, that's gonna be a tight fit there. But I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna look at Vision of the Seas, deck plan, and I'm gonna go to deck two. So when you look at a deck plan for any cabin, you can figure out pretty quickly what the, of course, the, oh, there it goes. So you're in two zero seven three. So you can look at the, at the codes here and figure out exactly what the bedding situation is based on what they're listing there. So I'm looking at 2073, which is in the interior room. It has a little asterisk, which means it's a stateroom with occupancy up to four people. Um, it doesn't, oh wait, it does say actually, this has category, not that, so it's that. It's hard to, I'm matching up the colors. And uh, interior, how about I click on that? Ah, okay. So the bed configuration, it depends on the room. You're either gonna have two twin beds to convert to Royal King, probably not. One king, one single sofa and bedroom. No, so for the up to four guests, you're gonna have two Pullman beds, and this is what it says here in the in the deck plan. So you're gonna have the two beds, the the two twin beds to convert to Royal King. That's for two people, and then on top of that, off the wall or off the ceiling, but I'm pretty sure off the wall, you're gonna have two Pullman beds that are gonna swing down, and that'll be for the other two people there. So again, check out the reason I have found this out. Go to the deck plan, look up the asterisk code, and you'll then see interior. And I believe you're either in a 1V or 2V category room and you'll see there for up to four guests, you get the Pullman bed. So 
There you go. Chuck, hope that answers your question there. We have time for one more email and that is coming to us from Alan. Hi, Matt, love your channel. Been watching for a long time to provide great content and answer questions that people may be thinking but afraid to ask. Uh, I'll be at Harmony of the Seas in August. I have a question regarding the soda package. I know World Ring gives you a cup for soda. You have to carry it with you onto Coco Key or in the restaurant or up to the bars. Thank you and happy sailing. You don't. The, the soda cup is for one reason and one reason only, to use the Coca-Cola freestyle machines. So when you go to a Coco Key, a restaurant or any bar, you don't need the cup. You just tell them, you show them your C-Pass card that you've got the soda package and they'll just pour you one right away. You don't need the cup for anything other than the soda machine. So Alan, hope that answers your question there. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast. You can always send me your email by sending them to matt, M-A-T-T, -T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.